Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Here we go. Getting started. Welcome into our special coverage live from the Pete Maravich Assembly Center over in Baton Rouge. LSU falls tonight. 82-77 in overtime to the Florida Gators. We will talk about that here the first half hour. And I'm looking for your reaction to this loss out there. I'll get my thoughts again in just a couple of minutes. You heard the phone number. It's 504-260-1870. The text line is 870-870. 13th rank LSU falls, and it wasn't a, really a good night for teams inside the top 25. Louisville loses to Syracuse. They get blown out by 20 points after dropping that 23-point uh, lead when they led Duke last week and blew that game. you got to think Louisville is going to be close to dropping out of this top 25 after tonight. And Georgetown, we were talking about Patrick Ewing, uh, DePaul Smith and I, when we're sitting here watching the game tonight, and Georgetown knocks off Villanova. One of the banner wins for Georgetown in recent memory is they look to make a, t- a push to postseason play. You also have Marquette, number 11th ranked Marquette's uh, trailing Butler right now, 30-29, to 29, and the biggest score of the night, Duke getting beaten up a bit by North Carolina in the third quarter. The Tar Heels, 46, and the Blue Devils, 35, as Duke had just regained the number one ranking in the country after Tennessee's loss last week. And, well, that might not be held very long if they were to lose that one tonight, especially if it is at home. But the story tonight here locally with LSU losing a game that would have put them into a tie for first place into the conference with Tennessee. Instead, they dropped back down to second place. But the nitty-gritty of this game for me was just a hungry Florida team that played great defense in the half court, disrupted the pick and roll beautifully. They also were challenging every shot at the rim, and nothing came easy. LSU missed multiple attempts right at the rim, and they also didn't shoot well from the free throw line. That's a pretty bad combination trying to win a college basketball game. They shot just 16 of 25 from the free throw line at 64%. Again, LSU, one of the better free throw shooting teams in the conference in the country. They were just 43% from the field and just 7 of 22 from the three-point line. Uh, Now, Florida didn't shoot it much better, but they got some key baskets at the end, a couple of three-pointers in overtime, and they got 21 points from Kevon Allen, five of nine from three. He was their key player. Defensively, the big guy, uh, uh, Kavarius Hayes, on the interior, disruptive defensively, and he also was four of four from the floor. Uh, Coach Will Wade in his postgame show, he was talking about his misuse of Darius Days. You know what, I agree with him there. Days only getting 11 minutes. He was very productive in those 11 minutes. Four of five from the floor, had four rebounds in 11 minutes, should have played a lot more. Some guys who were not productive in their minutes, Emmett Williams off the bench, just 14 points, uh, excuse me, 14 minutes, no points in this game, just a couple of rebounds. And also Tremont Waters, three of 12 from the floor, just two of eight from three. And he also, I'm not blaming him for this miss, he had a chance to tie the game in overtime after a steal. 
by uh, Javante Smart. Got it to Waters, and he had a three teed up from the left angle that from our vantage point on the opposite end of the court looked like it might have gone in, but it bounced off the front of the rim, and that was basically all she wrote here. So this is no indictment of LSU. Losses like this happen in college basketball, especially if you're a team that isn't really one of the dominant powerhouses in college basketball. I, I pushed back on that storyline this week. That's an unfair standard to hold LSU basketball at this point, too. They're a fantastic team. They have the guard play, the young athletic play uh, from their front courts to make a deep run into the NCAA tournament. But expecting them to go out and beat teams as good as Florida and blow them out every night is just unrealistic at this point. Perhaps this program gets to that point eventually. Uh, but right now, tonight, at this point, yeah, it's just uh, just not happening. Skyler Mays had a great game. He played 40 minutes, 40-plus minutes in this game, 6 of 12 from the floor. He had 18 points to lead the Tigers. And the Tigers did get five players, all five starters tonight, uh, into double figures. Uh, even Marlon Taylor, he had 10 points and also knocked down two of three from his threes. So don't read anything. Uh, again, don't. Well, this is an indictment against LSU basketball, but what it does is maybe sets the expectations a little more realistically. We had multiple callers to my program all week long saying LSU, they're a Final Four team. They should be ranked in the top five. Then I didn't see that yet. This is one of the reasons why. You've got to have more consistent play, and you've got to be better in the half court. Early in the season, we saw LSU really struggle in the half court offense, and at times even the last couple of weeks that's happened. You saw that today. Not able to get off the pick and roll. When that wasn't happening by the switching and trapping defense of Florida, you really saw them get out of rhythm on offense. Multiple bad looks by Tremont Waters. Multiple bad looks by Nas Reed, who looked to really be pressing at a point early and midway through the second half. And then Emmett Williams just a non-factor because uh, really they were slowing things down there in the half court defensively. It's a great win for Florida. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. This Florida team who's on the outside of the NCAA tournament bubble looking in, they get this win on the road against a top 15 team in a hostile environment. This is going to be that star on the resume. They probably move up on the bubble. They'll still be on the outside looking in, I believe, right now, but they're 15-11, 7-6 in conference play, and they get LSU later this season again. It's a good Florida team. It's a well-coached Florida team and one of the best defensive teams in the conference. If you want to hop on in, it's 504-260-1870. Curious to hear your thoughts about this. The text line is 870-870. Here's a text from the 504. I think they were looking past Florida at Tennessee. Teams get a little full-headed with success. I don't believe that this team was looking ahead. I don't. They're too young to look ahead that way. They, they, we talked about they were too young yesterday when we talked with Scott Alexander. They're too young to know any better. That's one of the reasons why they go into a place like Kentucky and are able to come out with a win and don't look rattled at all at Rupp. Well, they also, on the opposite side of that, they don't know any better to look ahead and look past a team like Florida, who's against a good basketball team. Might be a down year uh, for them relative to their really high expectations for this program over the last couple of decades, but this might be a tournament team. I don't, again, no indictment that they lose to a tournament team even at home. Here's a text from the 985. And so the implosion of LSU basketball begins. The name's on the jersey. The coach, the rankings, none of it matters. Give them some success and watch the wheels fly off. Thank God basketball, uh, baseball uh, has started. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. There's an overreaction here uh, to one loss. Uh, we have uh, Logan. Who's that on the phone line? Greg? Okay, let's go to Greg in Gretna. Greg, welcome to the show. What's your thoughts about the game tonight? 
Yeah, I mean, you making Florida sound like they're such a great team. I mean, they're 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 fifty percent. I mean, come on, look at their, look at their schedule. Look at the the wins. I mean, you just said you're talking about Florida. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you now, we're, we're going to lose to Florida in at Florida. I mean, that's, you might as well chalk that up as another loss. I mean, well, I don't. You think they're a bad team? I didn't say they're a great team, but this is this could be a tournament team. They're certainly on the ice. I just said, uh, Greg, that they're on the outside of that tournament bubble, looking in. But this resume is going to get them closer to getting that tournament spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, like you said, they're on the outside looking in, so they're not mm-hmm. that great. But I mean, lately we've been just barely eking by teams. Georgia. Look, Arkansas beat us at home. Um, we just eked by Georgia. Here we are trying to pull one out against Florida. I mean, these are teams that are not that great. Yeah, no, I mean, it's look, that's a, Greg, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. That's one of the reasons why I've been cautioning people to temper their expectations for this team. When you talk about the, the, the uh, five-point games, the rate that they're winning those, they hadn't lost an overtime game before tonight. These, this variance that's going to catch back up to them. Uh, but just because they lose tonight, don't all of a sudden – blow up your expectations for this team. This is a good, young basketball team that's going to be a thorn in the side of anybody, certainly in the conference, and anybody going into that NCAA basketball tournament. Again, do I think they're some kind of top 10 national championship challengers? No, I don't. But where they are right now compared to where this program was a couple of years ago, I mean, it's pretty incredible. I'm not trying to make tons of excuses for tonight. They shot the ball poorly. The issues in the half-court offense crept up again. I think that they need to find a way to move the ball and be able to execute half-court offense besides the high pick-and-roll that they just kept going to and had nothing going on that. Credit Florida for that. They also, that that depth on the bench that sometimes uh, just isn't quite there and you saw that creep up again tonight these are the issues that i have that i think might hold them back in that tournament it's not a it's not a no loss is good i don't think this is a bad loss i i highly doubt that selection committee is going to look at this again against a possible tournament team at home in overtime and say it's a bad loss thanks for the call greg we got to take a time out when we come back more of your phone calls at 504-260-1870 that's area code 504-260-1870 Text line is 870-870. LSU loses tonight. They fall in overtime to Florida, 82-77. to What say you about tonight's loss? I'm Seth Dunlap. Logan, back in the studio producing the show. It's a special edition of The Last Lap, live from Baton Rouge on WWL. Special edition of The Last Lap, live from the PMAC in Baton Rouge. LSU falls to Florida in overtime, 82-77. to We're taking your comments and your thoughts on this. Just to recap, My top-down thoughts, no indictment on LSU this loss. Really a lot of struggles in the half court that, to be honest, Coach Wade has talked about. This is an area that this young team really needs to develop, finding a way to score against good half-court defenses. They weren't able to do it enough tonight. It's an area that they'll have to address heading towards conference tournament play and assuredly NCAA tournament play. Let's go to Ryan in Uptown. Ryan, welcome to the program. Seth, how are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing fine, doing fine. So, just a couple points. I only got the tail end of the game. Um, tough loss, but a lot of group, a lot of your stuff. Um, just no indictment, just tough loss, conference play. Uh, just a, you know, a quick counterpoint to what Greg said earlier is that this, this just Florida is not a bad team. You know, they, they've had plenty of opportunities to play. You know, and have played play of teams that are 
you know, it would be net one victories or quad one victories, however they do. Quad one, yep. They just haven't, yeah, they just haven't gotten the wins. You know, teams like LSU, Butler, and I can't, I don't know if Butler's here, but a couple others. Um, and the SEC, and this is also kind of a counterpoint to him, you know, saying you can buy teams like Georgia and, you know, others. The SEC in general the past couple of years has vastly improved in basketball. It has been it's been insane, you know. The, from top top to bottom, this is one of the best overall leagues in the country. There are only a couple of teams that just really aren't that good, and this team has a chance. This team, this league has a chance to send eight or nine teams to the tournament. So, you know, this is not just football and you know just baseball anymore. Basketball is really big here, and there's a lot of great teams like LSU and Florida and you know Tennessee, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and otherwise. So just you know, just it just happens, and LSU's got a chance to beat them in March, and we'll just uh, see if we can go there. And then finally, uh, you know, I think LSU, you know, blueprint exposing how to beat LSU was was put out tonight, and how to beat them. They're more of an offensive team than defensive, you know. And this is a bunch of young kids, so they'll make mistakes and they'll get frustrated. So I really think this next, you know, this next couple of days for Tennessee are very important. How this team regroups, how will Wade schemes up try and cover up LSU's flaws so that other teams don't just take this game film and say, this is how we beat LSU, you know, late yeah. in the year and during the tournament. I just, Ryan, these are, these are great points. Yeah, Ryan, uh, these, these, are, no, they, they, these are all great points. Going back to Florida, then I'll get to the second part uh, here. But, but Florida, they, they had missed the marquee wins. They had that, that close four-point loss to Michigan State earlier in the season. And if you look at that, most people think that Michigan State, at least at that point of the season, was a national title contender. They had some injuries since then. They probably will not be that national championship contender. But that shows you just how good Florida can be when everything's clicking, especially with how they play defensively in the half court. They had that 10-point loss um, to Kentucky. I think it was an 11-point loss to Tennessee earlier in this year. They were looking for a marquee win to pad that tournament resume, which is why they were so dangerous. I talked about it yesterday. I talked about it today when I was on Sports Talk. The one area that I thought was concerning is this is an ultra-hungry Florida team that, frankly, was playing for more tonight than, than LSU was. I'm not making excuses for LSU. They didn't play well enough to win this game, but they get another shot at Florida coming up. As far as able to, to turn around from this one when you play Tennessee, the top six team in the country on Saturday, I don't think Will Wade's going to have any problem doing that. This could be that wake-up call that this young team might need. I don't think they were looking past Florida. But there's a lot of areas, coachable areas, that Coach Wade will be able to address. Thanks for the call, Ryan. Let's go to Reality Man on the North Shore. Been a while, Reality Man, or anti-Reality Man. Let's see where you are tonight. What's going on? Yeah, how you doing, Seth? I am good. Even though LSU lost, it was a nice day of basketball out here at the PMAC, man. Yeah, well, let me give y'all a dose of reality tonight. LSU did what they always do. They can't ever win a big game in any sport. Baseball, okay, wait, hold on. Now, I'm not going to let you stop. Uh, stop. Uh, put them on hold, Logan. Reality man, I'm going to let you talk again, but you got to bring facts. I'm not a show where I'm just going to let you talk if you're just not telling the truth here. Uh, last week, LSU went to Rupp Arena and beat Kentucky. Is that not a big win in your book? Go ahead and put him back on, Logan. Reality, man. Yeah, I'm I'm back, Seth. How you doing, okay. buddy? 
I'm, I'm great. I'm not going to let you just make up stuff, though, on my program. You can do that on other programs. not going to be my okay, program. Well, let me you last this, week, you Dad. said, no, no, you're going to respond or I'm going to hang up. You got to okay, say I was I'll wrong. And I'll, okay, okay. You said LSU never wins a big game in any sport. They never win last a big week, game in any sport. Okay, so Kentucky wasn't a big game. Nope. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm not even going to continue this conversation because that's no, nonsense. I'm a, I'm a no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. Logan, I'm done. I'm not pandering to that tonight. It's not going to happen. LSU haters come out of the woodwork here. Surprise Joe in Mandeville uh, isn't giving us a call back. Reality, man, I like the back-and-forth banter we have sometimes. As long as you keep it based in reality. I think this is why Christian Garrett calls you uh, anti-reality, man, because I'm just, I'm just not handling the uh, the made-up nonsense trying to spew there. Uh, here's a text from the 504. I disagree with that caller saying the SEC is a premier basketball conference. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before. I think I was going to say it. I don't agree that this conference is as good as it's ever been. I think at the top, I agree with that uh, the caller. I think it was Ryan a couple of callers ago. That at the top, when you have Kentucky, you have Tennessee, and you have LSU, that's as good of a trio you had at the top of this conference in recent memory. Uh, the middle is okay, but the bottom just isn't there. Matter of fact, I think this conference last year was better top to bottom when they got a record eight tournament bids. Only seven tournament bids likely coming this year, unless you have a team like Florida make a run, and hey, maybe it will be that magical eight number again. Here's a text from the 985. Everyone needs to be real. This team is way ahead of where we thought they would be this year. They have won a lot of close games inflated by the record a bit. Just glad we have a team that's relevant. Again, go Tigers. That's spot on. Now, inflating your record because of, a little, again, a little variance, overtime wins, uh, five point or less wins or losses, games decided by five points or less, that is variance that the statistical models will tell you will catch up to you. But that's fine. You can be on the good side of variance. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. This team's going to be dangerous. This team's going to be dangerous. They're still young. They're still learning. They're so much better than they were in nearly every aspect of the game from the opening month or so of the season. And they lost to Florida State, lost to Houston, lost to Oklahoma State. That Oklahoma State one, yeah, that's the bad blemish on this resume. 504-260-1870. If you want to hop on in, that's area code 504-260-1870. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, a special edition of... Uh, the last lap, a hi to Kent Lowe, who's giving me the thumbs up on the far side. Thanks again to Kent Lowe uh, and everybody here at LSU for setting this up and allow us to broadcast very literally courtside. We're about at the 20-foot mark or so, right to the left of where Coach Wade stands, usually looking out on the court. You might be able to hear the air blowers up top of the arena as the lights go out on the far side, people cleaning to my right and the left and there's probably about 10 people or so uh, left in the building here but it was a great night as far as the atmosphere goes not a great night with the result again LSU falling to Florida in overtime 82 to 77 phone lines are open for you at 504-260-1870 the text line is 87870 and on cue and he was probably listening ears perked up Joe in Mandeville uh, our lovable LSU hater is on the line now. Joe, what's going, what's going, what's going on, Joe? You're swiping at me when every time y'all lose. I'm just sitting here listening and watching. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. Now, I am not Mr. Reality. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I, I give you that, Joe. All right. Now, real quick. 
watching this North Carolina Duke game? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, North Carolina was up. Uh, I saw them up 11. Uh, what's, They're what's, up by what's, 20. 20 now, yeah. Duke. Yeah, 20 Cameron. And, mm-hmm. oh, 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 it is ugly. Well, anyway, let me say my argument is Ryan, I'm calling out Ryan since you called me out. <laughs> The okay. SEC okay. is not the better conference in basketball, okay? And number two, LSU, and I'm going to say this again, is not a three seed in the tournament, okay? Well, they won't be after tonight, Joe. You're right about that. They're probably a four seed right now. But you, but you see my frustration here. Y'all get on a little roll, and y'all are a number one seed. What is this? Come on, well, y'all I don't know, y'all. There's, uh, I'm, I'm not part of the team. You know, don't throw me in there. I know, I know, I know. But you know how Christian is. <laughs> well, hey, now, you don't take shots at Christian, Joe. Christian hasn't done anything <laughs> to you tonight. <laughs> on, Joe. No, I will Bobby say this in defense of Brian. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Joe, go ahead if you want. Is Joe still there? Joe's gone. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of a delay because we're on live on location, Joe. Uh, you don't take shots at Christian. It's not fair. He's not here defending himself. Uh, I'll defend Ryan, though, our previous caller, because I don't think he said LSU, or maybe he did, or the SEC was the best basketball conference. He just said it was as good as it had ever been. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I don't think he was trying to say it's better than the ACC. Uh, let's go to Eric. Eric, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks, Seth. A uh, long time listener, first time caller. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got to just have a couple points. I'll, I'm actually driving back to New Orleans. I was at the game today, courtside. Um, two points. You know, I kind of feel like um, Will Wade kind of got – may have gotten out coach for the first time this year. And I say that because it was probably about four or five inbound plays where Florida got, you know, relatively easy – alley-oops and easy buckets on those plays. And, I mean, it just kept happening time and time again. And then, you know, late on that last uh, possession when we had five seconds left, he said on his radio show or on the postgame talk that Trayvon Waters was supposed to drive and he ended up taking a poor three-point shot. Now, a good coach, you know, they're supposed to relay what they want to happen during the play. And and the team and the players are supposed to do that. And that didn't happen. And my second point Mike, is, look, no, Mike, let me, let me comment on that. I'll get to your Eric. second point. You, you know, uh, I was uh, sitting with a buddy of mine up here, and we commented on the, the inbound success on those plays that Florida was having. You, you're right. There was at least three plays that were wide open, um, either lay-ins or dunks right under the back that just can't happen. Right. As far as, as, far as um, Coach Wade getting out coached, yeah, I think he'd be the first to tell you that he got out coached tonight. He just did by Mike White uh, for Florida, who ran that trap very efficiently. And there was no answer when LSU, and I'm not trying to belabor this point, but it is true, and they've got to fix this. When LSU wasn't able to execute out of that high pick and roll in the half court offense, everything just stalled. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, th- yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, my second point is we we got to get better. When when Trey Martin Waters isn't scoring, Javante Smart isn't scoring. Somebody else has to has to be able to step up, you know. We got no production for those out of the guard play tonight, and I, I really think, you know, well, obviously there's more than just that. I mean, we didn't hit any free throws either. We hit free throws. It's the game. We're not even talking right now. LSU wins the game towards the end, but we got to get better. 
we got to get somebody else to step up at the guard position when those two guys aren't really producing. Yeah, uh, Eric, great points tonight. Thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Call again. Uh, they do have to have that uh, that other big-time playmaker. you think it might be Nas Reed. He's so athletic, so freakishly athletic. He can play inside and outside, but Nas was having all sorts of problems tonight, just 5 of 12 in this game. There were multiple bunnies right at the bucket that he wasn't able to come up with. Did score uh, 16 points, had 15 rebounds, a 16-15 night for Nas. I didn't think it was a banner night for him, but I don't think it was a bad night for him. But he does, to Eric's point, LSU would love to have him be that scorer that they can rely on in games like this, but that's something that they're going to have to work on, that half-court offense, that, that bug that's come up to bite him a few times uh, this season. 504-260-1870. The text line is 870-870. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Scott Eden of ESPN, and you're going to want to stay tuned for this interview. He spent two years researching Tim Donahue and the way that he fixed NBA games for multiple years before he went to prison. He was the first and his staff were the first people to confirm that indeed Donahue did fix the games that he bet on. That story dropped yesterday, and the author of that, please, again, Scott Eden, joins us next. Well, I am really excited for our next guest here. Scott Eden of ESPN spent multiple years with his team working and researching Tim Donahue and the, the trail of, of lies and deceits and game fixing that followed him in the NBA uh, a decade ago. The piece dropped yesterday at ESPN.com, and we spent a long time discussing it on our show. And Scott Eden joins us now. Scott, I'm sure you, you've been – it's been a whirlwind the last couple of days. How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, it looks like – this is an incredible piece. reads like a novel. Donahue and David Stern and the NBA have maintained for years that they didn't fix the game. It seems like you've disproven that pretty uh, pretty heavily in this piece. Yes, we've, we've made the case, strong case, we think, that uh, he indeed fixed the games. You know, and yeah, it took, uh, it took a long time. Um, the genesis of the story goes back to 2017 on the, kind of the 10th year anniversary that was the kind of the genesis of the story to go back and relook at this, you know, this kind of controversial, obviously sports story that happened, and go back and re- reinvestigate it kind of from all angles because we felt like the full story hadn't yet been told. When did Donis he start fixing games, and how long did this go on? Yeah, I mean, uh, he started betting on his own games in 2003. So this is like, that's four years, four full seasons before, you know, the, the whole thing blew up and it became public, and, you know, after the FBI began investigating it. So, I mean, he, he kind of, he describes it in his own memoir. And, and, and according to court documents also, the FBI found the same thing, that he began betting on his, on his own games with a kind of golfing buddy of his uh, from from his his kind of uh, where he lived at the time in the Philadelphia suburbs, uh, starting in the spring of 2003. And that that circle that you talk about a lot in your your piece, that circle in Philadelphia that that churns out NBA referees at an exceptional rate, but he was able to use that circle. And even his high school, 
um, to kind of facilitate this. This is how this all began. Out on the golf course one day, they're talking, and then this, this kind of master plan, uh, villainous master plan kind of comes to fruition, doesn't it? Well, I don't know if it started out as a villainous master plan, but it started out as, you know, yeah, he comes from this kind of culture, this kind of cradle of referees, his own family. His father was, you know, high-level NCAA referee, and his uncle um, refereed in, in the NBA. So he has, you know, he comes from this long line, and he comes from a cradle of, you know, there's just a lot of referees from Philadelphia, from his own high school. And then, but there's it's a, there's also a culture of rec- recreational gambling, and those two eventually intersected in his own life. And he, like I said, yeah, he kind of. Um, began recreationally betting on, on all kinds of sports with, with this kind of buddy of his, uh, golfing pal. And then eventually they decided to bet on, you know, his own NBA games. And then it, that, that's sort of the, we, what we wanted to do was kind of trace also the origins of this all. And, and that's what we found. Well, you traced it really well, talking to Scott Eden of ESPN. How quickly did this evolve from that um, kind of insular scheme of his with one buddy to this worldwide kind of syndicate that everybody was running um, involved right. with betting on Donahue's games. Yeah, I mean, it took years. Um, but I, I think pretty quickly um, a group of guys deduced it because he was betting with a guy, his golfing buddy, who had a bookie who was linked in to this kind of, you know, almost a global kind of underground uh, betting market, betting kind of betting network, betting industry. And they saw that kind of, that the, the, this guy's golfing buddy and it was, was sort of betting on these games. Uh, and he was losing in most of almost everything else, except for this one specific bet. And they were bets on games that Tim Donahue was refereeing. So a group of, uh, of gamblers deduced that something was going on. They saw a pattern. And they, they, they began betting on those games. And they, their, their suspicion was that he was fixing the games. Because on every other bet, they, they, they mostly lost, except for the games that Donnie himself was refereeing. And that, that began much, also in 2003, 2004. How much money was eventually involved in this? Is it, it sounds like it was hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide bet on these games. I mean, it's really hard to, to know, but... Um, there have been hints and suggestions over the years um, that that yes, potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. But you know, an FBI agent that I spoke to was a key source. You know, his you know understanding was that yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially were being were be, was being won. You know, uh, being done in these games over the span of the, of these years. I mean, this this story and, yeah. is absolutely incredible. It's it's incredible. And, and you mentioned the FBI source there, Scott. The Gambino crime family is somehow involved here because it, that correct me if I'm wrong. That FBI source was investigating the Gambino crime family, and that's how he came across this. Right. So the FBI had a um, you know they have uh, crime squads that focus on each of the five families, the kind of famous you know mafia families of New York City. They were on the they were they were specifically investigating ongoing over here is the Gambino family. And they had a tipster from within that kind of world who in October of 2006, you know, gave them a tip that uh, there was a referee potentially corrupted that, and people were betting on this referee's games. There was no name attached yet. It was just there's a referee in the NBA. Lots of money is being bet on this guy's games, and they're, and they're winning. So from, they took that tip and, and, and went with it, and that was like the origin of the FBI investigation. 
So three years after the Donahue began betting on his own games, the FBI got wind of it. How do these people think that they were actually going to get away with this? Because they seem to be flaunting, um, at least at the end of this, when, when the money really started rolling in, that it, it seemed like they kind of believed that nobody was ever going to catch them. Right. Well, at, at first, you know, the guys betting on it, it was just they saw a, bet, a pattern of wins, right? They, they didn't put in a fix with Donahue. It was just Donahue betting with his golfing pal, right? And they, they saw a pattern. And we're betting on it. So they didn't know that he was fixing the games. And they were not, they didn't have any contact with Donahue at all. Only when one member of that group decided to do a face to face deal with Donahue in, in December of 2006, in the 2006 2007 season, did it kind of enter the realm of, oh, the, a gambler now is sort of doing something criminal. And that was a, this face to face deal that one of the guys, Jimmy Batista, who eventually you know, pled guilty to also to, you know, illegal gambling in this scheme. You know, he did this face-to-face deal where he went to Donnie. He said, you know, you, I will give you $2,000 per game. You give me a pick, and we'll take that pick, and I'll bet on it. Um, but I'll give you $2,000 if that pick wins. And so that's sort of when it went really crazy. That's when <laughs> bet sizes started to really explode at that point. That moment right there, Scott, uh, it reads like it's so key, and there's still some, uh, not disagreement maybe is the wrong word, but a little uh, lack of clarity from Donahue and the people around it, whether that he was forced into this, threatened by this syndicate, or he went willingly along. Which one of those um, really was it? Uh, that's what that's Donahue's claim, that he was threatened and forced. The two other um, you know, the, the co-conspirators who were eventually pled guilty to the, in the same scheme say that he did not threaten him. They, they did. They did not threaten him. So, I mean, it's kind of he said, she said, but it's two. Out of, it's two against one. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's a lot. It's it's yeah. It's it's many against one in, in this scenarios. Are you surprised how many people went on the record for you in this? It's almost everybody is named sources here. I think there's a few uh, unattributed sources. Are you surprised about how many people were willing to talk about this? I mean, it's 10 years later, and I, I, you, know, you, can never, you can never predict. You want to get everyone on the record um, if possible. Um, but, you know, I, I can never predict who was going to say yes and no to be on the record, to be honest. <laughs> I, try to get, I try to convince everyone to go on the record, every, and I try to convince everyone to talk to me. Um, so, so yeah, the reason I don't know. I've, I've done stories like this before, and you, know, you can never really predict who's, who's going to say yes and no to, to that, sort of, uh, that sort of demand. Sure. I guess the reason that I ask that is, you know, this is – this is a shady underbelly of our, you know, our gambling world that's now proliferating with the Supreme Court court ruling a couple of weeks ago. I think that's you talk about that at the top of the article. This is one of the reasons why that your team felt it was very important to do this story. Right. Did you ever were you ever uncomfortable investigating this with some of the people that you're talking to? Let's be honest. It sounds no. like a lot of those are still connected, <laughs> still connected people. No, I, I wasn't actually. To be honest, no. I mean, and, and none of the people that were. The professional gamblers involved, yes, they um, they're betting illegally, and they are using, you know, black market street bookies or offshore sort of quasi legal illegal, you know, these these offshore betting books based in the Caribbean or in Asia. Um, but they're not mobsters. You know, they're not like made guys. Now, the betting um, patterns that people picked up on 
eventually did um, get picked up on by Gambino, um, also you know bookies and gamblers. So, I mean, there, there's an intersection between actual mobsters and and the un, the, the gambling underworld. But I, I never felt threatened. No, that's no. Is the NBA still denying this? And by the way, we're talking to Scott Eden of ESPN who wrote that incredible piece with his team. Um, yesterday it dropped at ESPN.com on Tim Donahue uh, fixing games, and he sourced everything here. And uh, it, it, NBA has denied this for years, Scott. Uh, Donahue's denied this for years. Is the NBA still denying that Donahue fixed games? Is Donahue still denying this after this wrote? Definitely, yeah, they certainly are. Um, and the, the it's odd bedfellows, right? The NBA is in a strange position of having to kind of, you know, be on the same side as Donahue in this. I mean, but it, it's not – that's not uncommon. Um, when sports leagues, you know, have in front of them the possibility of the taint of the fix, they are really the, the the instinct is to bury it. I mean, right? Because your whole, I mean, the integrity of the game is that it's, it's existential, right? If 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 it can be shown that a game can be fixed, I mean, the conspiracy theories blossom. Um, you know, everything is called into question. That, I mean, that is why the, the professional sports leagues are so, so very sensitive to this issue. I mean, uh, there's a guy named Declan Hill who's a you know great scholar and a journalist uh, who's researched match fixing all around the world, and he makes the analogy that you know it's, it's like a, a sausage maker, you know, who, who realizes that some of the meat in their sausage is tainted. Um, they wouldn't. They don't want that to happen to begin with. But once it does happen, the institute is to cover it up, <laughs> right? So it's the same with sports leagues. They, they uh, final. Uh, go ahead, Scott. Uh, there's a little bit of delay here, by the way, because I'm on location. So sorry about this through the interview. No I guess the 100 million dollar question uh, at the end of this, heck, maybe 100 billion by the time it's over with, is: Is this going to be an issue not just for the NBA but professional sports going forward now? that sports gambling is going to be legalized across the country piecemeal, but it's, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. I mean, I mean, on the one hand, um, legalizing sports betting is a good thing because it's going to, it will, you know, the, 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 the sunlight will, you know, will, will the transparency should help suss out, you know, potential funny business. Right. But on the other hand, people need to understand that the betting markets, when, with legalization are going to explode. The amount of money that's going to be bet is going to increase exponentially. And I think people need to also understand that betting markets are like financial markets. They're very sophisticated now. They're, um, they're linked to a global network of, of, of betting markets in, the, in Europe, in Asia, and the, the U.S. will eventually be linked to them. So the amount of money being wagered is huge. So transparency is okay. I mean, that's good. But the incentive to fix only rises with the with the and the amount of money that is you know going to be bet on games once once legalization happens. Scott Eden of ES uh, Scott Eden of ESPN incredible piece titled "How Former Ref Tim Donahue Conspired to Fix NBA Games." Scott, uh, it really was one of the more incredible pieces that really I've ever read. Uh, excellent job, and um, we'll see what happens here going forward. Really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the kind words. All right, you bet. Uh, go read this piece if you haven't. I promise it'll be worth it. It's a long read. Reads like a novella. It's worth it. Read it before bed. Read it when you're waking up with your coffee. Uh, we tweeted it out. You can find it on ESPN on the NBA page. 
And very front and center, fixing professional sports games in our country. It's something that most people think, oh, that doesn't happen. Well, it happened, and it happened a decade ago, not too long ago. We'll take a break after this on the last lap. Great stuff from Scott Eden. My apologies for the delay on that interview. We're just live on location, so sometimes it was a little delay between his answers and my responses. But nevertheless, just fascinating stuff from Scott Eden. We'll talk more LSU basketball. They lose tonight. We're live at the PMAC Special Edition over here, 82-77 in overtime to Florida. Your calls and your text coming up next hour. And we'll talk some eSports, the Overwatch League. It's massive. It's back in action. Malik Forte. One of the broadcasters for the Overwatch League is going to join us here on The Last Lap. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.